Hello, my name is Toby Haydock. In my spare time, I go through all my issues of Doctor Who magazine and cross out where it says inside the spaceship and change it to the edge of destruction, because I'm a winner. But we won't be when this is broadcast, so don't try and find us. Um, obviously, the episode Dalek was written by one of my closest friends, Rob Shearman. So when it came to ticking Dalek off the list, it seemed obvious who I would interview. So I'm going to ask my next victim to tell me who they are and why I'm talking to them about Doctor Who. Hello, uh, my name's Jana Carpenter. I don't know if you need my last name. Uh, and I play DiMaggio in... Um, in one of the first Dalek, first Dalek reboot episodes, well, the one where they went up the stairs. Yeah, they went up the stairs and killed you. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I laid my life down for Billy Piper. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, and it, it sort of debunked the old joke of, um, you know, how do you get away from a Dalek running upstairs? Yeah. And suddenly you couldn't anymore. And Doctor Who, when you made it, hadn't come back, so we all know now in retrospect yeah. it was massively successful. Yeah. Doctor at the time was a bit of a joke. Um, and a bit of a risk. I suppose it was. It was. It was. Um, it didn't feel like that at the time. I was very excited to do it. Um, but um, but yeah, it was kind of much more of an unknown entity. Um, but I I was aware that as soon as I said to many of my male friends that I was doing it, uh, they looked at me differently. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like so you know however. Uh, however much it may have fallen out of favour or people were unsure about how it was going to do, it still gets right to certain people's hearts, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, that didn't go away. Good. <laughs> and, uh, so and how aware were you of it? Uh, well, very much. I mean, I, I moved around as a kid, but I lived some time in England, and my memory of Doctor Who was Tom Baker um, when I lived at my nan's in Northamptonshire. And I, I remember that was... That was a big deal, and I, I quite loved I quite loved him, um, Tom Baker, and uh, to the point where later on in life, uh, I've been told that I, uh, you know, there are times when I have dressed similar to Tom Baker, <laughs> long leather coat and stripy scarf and stuff. That was, uh, and, uh, uh, but yeah, so I had a, I had that's that was my strong memory. I didn't really know much either side of it, uh, of his era, so when I was asked to do it, I, that's what was in my mind. It was like, yay. Uh, so that was very cool. I did so. Yeah, I knew enough about it to know that it was a pretty cool thing to be doing. And one of the funny things that I, I, I don't frequent internet forums much anymore, but um, I remember reading a, a review of Dalek where I went, um, yeah, and all the American accents were terrible. And I went, but all of the actors, I think bar one, is an actual American. And he yeah. listed the whole cast and went, no, English, 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 English. And I went back and went, no, American, American, American. Because yeah, yeah. we were pretty much all authentic. Yeah, you? as far as I'm aware, the, the, the guy um, who was... Uh, who was the other guard of me? I looked basically like his little brother. Um, he, yeah, we were both American, and uh, in fact, yeah, there were loads of Americans in it. Yeah. Um, maybe it's I often have this when I um, watch things with mixed cast, with mixed American and English. Um, one or the other always sounds weird because you get your your ear gets used to one thing and then you hear another, and it doesn't. Um, I find it can be quite weird, especially on television. Not so much in films, but on television, I think somebody's. Somebody sounds out of place, and that mm. maybe what how he that guy was he was processing processing it, it. Oh. yeah. Um, and so yes, that you are an, an American. So tell tell me about your background. Why were you moving about a lot? Uh, my dad um, was in the U.S. Air Force, um, 
I met my mum uh, over here in England in the 60s, and they uh, uh, had my brother and me and moved around a lot, and my mum basically struck a deal with my dad when they got married that we'll, we'll travel around the world for 25 years, but we're coming back here when you're done. And that's what they did. They retired back up here. So, um, But my dad was stationed here a couple of times and in Germany um, and various places in the States, so I moved around. And, and probably something that helped me to be to decide to be an actor was the fact that you one thing you learn um, when you move around a lot is, is adaptability. You have to put yourself into new environments quite a lot and uh, and try to assimilate without drawing too much attention to yourself. So there, so you get used to that kind of like, oh, here's a new group of people. See if I can not look like a crazy weirdo here. <laughs> and, um, uh, and also accents, because I, um, I kind of didn't grow up with any set accent. I've moved around so much that it, I, my accent changed a lot and having parents with different accents. So I quite enjoyed um, flipping about accents and it's always interested me. I think, I think I, um, I'm less, I have less of an ear for it now than maybe when I was younger because I'm a bit more set. Um, but I've always enjoyed doing that so that's probably what led me somehow, weirdly, from a military background to being an actor. <laughs> mm. And well, and that led to you... Uh, doing Doctor Who, which we'll move on from shortly, but how did you get the part then? Um, you know, the, the usual way. Um, I auditioned for it, and um, and I really, I remember at the time thinking, when you go into auditions, you, you know, there are plenty of times you just think in the back of your mind, this isn't happening, and, uh, and sometimes uh, you don't know, and sometimes you go, yeah, and I felt like the whole way through the audition and afterwards I was like, yeah, that was fun, and I felt like... Um, I felt like that was my part, you know? I mean, there's only, you know, it wasn't like uh, a massively, um, it wasn't a massive part in the episode. I just felt like I can do this and this is fun. It's, um, I get to hold a gun, I get to guard a Dalek, um, and my name is DiMaggio, and it's like, <laughs> that sounds cool. <laughs> so it's been watching the baseball. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and actually not a, not a, yeah, not a, a pretty, um, you know, the stereotypical women in Doctor Who screaming at monsters. Yeah. No, you were a soldier. Yeah, and that's, I think that's probably why I got so excited about it, because um, yeah, I, I got to be, I got to sort of uh, play, play my, one of my fantasies of being, you know, a hard man, <laughs> although albeit looking like a, a teenage boy. But <laughs> it's so odd when I, when I look at pictures of myself, especially next to, um, next to the other guy, John, um, I'm just, I'm half his size. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just imagine, if, I, if you just see the pictures without hearing my voice, I just imagine my voice is like, hey, hey, you! <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it was directed by Joe O'Hearn, who didn't come back after that first year, but was responsible for some mm-hmm. of the most dynamic shooting, I think. Uh, yeah. So how was he as a director? Really, really nice, and really focused, um, very kind, and um, uh, uh, sensitive, I think, uh, I'm sure he was horribly troubled because it was a lot of pressure. You know, I'm sure all the directors, especially in that first, uh, that first reboot, I'm sure they felt a bit kind of like, you know, in a way probably felt free as well because nobody was expecting uh, massive amounts. But, um, but he, he, I think he did a great job and he's gone on to do other great stuff as well and he's a lovely, lovely man. And Christopher Eccleston didn't come back either. Yeah. Uh, was, was, how was, how, was he enjoying playing the part? Uh, I think he was, yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I didn't have a lot of time, spent a lot of time with him, except in the makeup trailer, which was fun, and we bonded over having both having the same uh, highest played song on our iTunes, which was a Prince song. 
I want to be your lover. Yeah. <laughs> I remember talking about that, and I was like, and it was just an unlikely conversation, and like, oh yeah, very cool. Um, but yeah, I think he was enjoying. It. I think he enjoyed it. He, uh, he was um, he was very very nice to work with, very pleasant, and yeah. In fact, everybody was. I th- that was what was cool about it. I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. Um, I enjoyed meeting um, Nick. Briggs and, and mm. Barnby um, and you know the whole thing it was kind of like it was a bit like a kid's playground because you're aware that you're working on something kind of fun and it wasn't at all po-faced you know and so uh, and everybody kind of threw themselves in uh, it felt quite I was only there obviously for a short period of time but it felt like uh, a little team mm-hmm. uh, having fun basically <laughs> And if you're going to do a Doctor Who, doing one with the Daleks is, is yeah. the one to do. And doing the first one where the Daleks go up the stairs. Uh, yeah, that was when you got to that cool. bit in the script, you must have been, oh, well, at least of all the scenes. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's, at the time, I, didn't, I suppose I didn't take in how important that was going to be to people who follow the show intensely. Because um, it was, I, I was kind of aware that it was a big deal. But I, in retrospect, it was quite a massive moment. And I think that's why um, you know, I, people are interested in... in you know why I get any kind of interest at all is because it was that momentous moment. You know, uh, very very cool. And we just did work out, which I'm sorry, we're going to age you all now because we all think <laughs> of as Doctor Who fans. You know, we think <coughs> of the olden days as being the sixties and black and white. Um, sorry, listen, it was eight years ago that Jeez, you recorded it. I know that is crazy. And um, you still get lots of attention, but you still get. I do. I um, people write like, very nice letters and. Um, and whenever I speak to people that, that I know more recently, and if they, you know, I'm, if I, if they ask which episode I was in, they go, "Oh yeah, that one," you know. So it's it's yeah, definitely sticks in people's minds, which is nice. Yes, because you're not. You, 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 I think walking down the street, you wouldn't be recognisable oh, no. as the character no, because I have so, no. you're dressed differently, of course. But your hair is also a different colour. Yes, uh, yeah, uh, and I'm you know eight years older. Yeah. <laughs> There's that too. Well, oh, it's not that. I, I, that happened across my mind. But um, yeah, no, it's not like uh, it's it's not like it was any. The part itself was particularly interesting. It's the episode was was iconic it's to, to people who who care about that sort of thing. So I think that was fun to be part of something that retrospectively uh, was a, a big moment. And so, how, how, what got you to there? What, what, what how, how had you started life as an actress? Um, by basically not being able to be being much good at anything else. <laughs> um, I, um, my dad used to uh, wherever we lived. My dad was either would either join a, a drama group or start one if there wasn't one in, in existence. And so I grew up around um, sort of misfitty military theatrical people if you can imagine such a thing and um, and I, it's, it's always something that I, I love doing but never really when I was a teenager imagined that I could actually do it as a job and I, I assumed I was going to be a teacher or something I don't know what I, what I thought and then when I did a, I did a play, I did a Shakespeare play um, when I was 18 I think um, uh, not to do with uh, my, anything to do with my dad, just a, like a, a local company and all these other people that were in it were applying to drama schools in London, and I was like, oh, oh, this actually looks like it could be a reality, and, and I auditioned and got in, and that was it. That was my life sorted. You know, made a choice at 19 quite quickly to, to do it, um, to do something that I always loved, and then and it happened, and which is, you know, lucky in a lot of respects, because if I hadn't gone into drama school, I probably would be living an entirely different life, probably in America, so... And I, so I'm very grateful for whoever it was that ticked yes on the box when I, when I auditioned for drama school. <laughs> and you consider yourself 
American still? Or? I don't know. I I don't. I've actually, to be honest, I've never really considered myself anything. Um, I've always had a, a bit of an uncomfortable relationship with any kind of uh, patriotism or, or um, tribalism. Even you know, I just I find I find it weird. So I I get cast a lot as American. So uh, because it's uh, in my in my bag of tricks. Um, and I have obviously some emotional attachments to whenever I, uh, when you know I hear American voices that you know it, you know has a connection to my <laughs> my youth, but I don't really feel anything. I kind of a bit of a, have a kind of a hippie attitude of feeling like a citizen of the world. Really. So, and my mum's English, and that's very much part of my upbringing as well. So it's. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't feel anything. <laughs> you mentioned your bag of tricks, so it's quite a bag of tricks because actress, mm-hmm. singer, mm-hmm. songwriter, mm-hmm. improviser. Mm-hmm. So when, when did the music start? Did, did that figure in? Um, the, the music and the improv happened at the same time, really. Um, I'd spent several years, maybe nearly ten years, just <laughs> just being an actor, and I, you. As an actor, you, I'm sure, as you know, you can often feel quite helpless because you're. Uh, what your art is in inverted commas it relies on other people really mostly um, to, to employ you and to, to work with you you're a craftsperson really um, and you have a part to play in a bigger piece of art um, and and that helplessness um, was uh, was something that was kind of thankfully there was a moment where it sort of turned where I um, well through that first ten years of my work I also developed this bizarre fear of flying um, uh, considering my dad was in the US Air Force seems slightly ironic but I think a lot of it was an overactive imagination a lot of free time and um, and I um, so I, I and I, then I got this job in, in Vienna and doing a play in Vienna and so in order to go I would have to get on a plane so I went to see somebody about it and dealt with my fear of flying and that seemed to have some kind of opening effect um, in terms of what I felt I was capable of and while I was in Vienna I met some musicians and met some improvisers and it was spent this really creative time there being exposed to things and, and basically um, uh, challenging fears and trying out stuff that I'd never thought I would do in front of anybody and uh, and so within the space of, the space of a few months it's like everything everything changed and um, so when I came back to England I wanted to pursue all these things and sort of ran to, ran into the darkness of like okay what can I do what can I do and uh, and thankfully found places where I could and uh, I started working with the spontaneity shop um, uh, improv company and I now um, uh, teach for them and uh, and then I and I also uh, we created a, a band pie finger and I, we've been going uh, for all that time 10 years and now I do I play with another band as well sweet Billy so it's like from this from this point of getting over a fear quite a massive fear that took up quite a chunk of my brain I think that the vacuum that remained was then filled with all sorts of other stuff that I I now love and are completely a part of my my existence so and yeah you're in two, two bands so how, how often do you do you play the live scene um, it goes through phases really I mean we've uh, with Pie Finger, we, we we kind of play when when people want us to play. We uh, and we're quite an acoustic setup, so uh, we play like folk clubs and uh, and like small festivals and things like that. And uh, uh, some of it is dependent upon like uh, Rachel, the violin player. She's a professional musician, so we we work 
a little bit around her schedule as well. And but we just get together whenever we can, and we uh, play whenever we can. With Sweet Billy Pilgrim, it's uh, they've been going for quite a long time before I joined them, and there was a lot of stuff established already. And I joined them for their third album, and um, which got really well, really well reviewed in the press and stuff. So <laughs> I was lucky I came at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, well, you've just had you were talking about Sweet Billy. You said that album did well, and um, uh, you had a nice feature in a magazine. Oh yeah, yeah, in, in Mojo magazine. It's, um, they, we've just done a. They reviewed the album really well when it came out last last April, so a year ago, um, and uh, and we decided to to give it away because we didn't think that we thought, felt like there was more life in the album, and um, we wanted to make sure we had. Um, I, I mean, our biggest thing is just getting people to hear it because whenever they hear it, they love it. Mm. So it's it's simply a matter of just getting it into people's heads. So so and Mojo Magazine were very cool and very nice about it and very kindly off, um, uh, we did a, a, a thing with them where they interviewed us and, and put the album on, in the magazine for a free download to Mojo readers and uh, and that's had a really nice effect and, and is it it's always a difficult one to ask people to pick is it, it do you have a favoured thing from the music to the improv to the acting or is it the fact that it's your life is all those different things that is what B um, yeah definitely I don't I, I never have felt I, I don't I've never felt like I've had to choose uh, I, and you know, a choose a favorite child. Yeah. <laughs> it's just uh, I, I get to do a lot of things that I love, and and I feel very lucky about that. And there are occasions, you know, moment by moment, where things might clash with something else. But it, by and large, it doesn't in, in my life. You know, I get to do all of these things. I get. To, I just have to be a lot more organized than is natural to me. <laughs> um, but uh, but no, I mean. I, when I, whatever I'm doing right then, that's the thing I love the most. Yeah. It's pretty much that. <laughs> and what, what, what acting jobs, aside from Doctor Who, then stick out have you enjoyed the most? Um, uh, well, I suppose one of the things that, uh, I had, that I really enjoyed was a thing called Superstorm, which we did in 2006 or seven. I can't remember. Um, and it was a thing with BBC and... Um, uh, Discovery Channel, and it was a thing about it was a three-part drama about super hurricanes. You know, it was a sort of drama documentary type. Sort thing. of. I mean, it was all you know. We had we had some uh, there was some science stuff, <laughs> and it, it was based upon a th- theories of what's possible in the future in terms of um, modifying the weather. And I got to play a computer geek, which was fun. Um, and my husband Julian Simpson directed it, and uh, and it was we get to spend uh, a couple of months in Montreal filming it. And it was just such a lot of fun, and uh, I to work with uh, my good friend Nicholas Stevenson as well. So that was that was really nice. Um, but yeah, so that um, more recently I've done some radio, which I'm really enjoying. And um, one of the things we did, it's kind of tying together the improv thing, um, we did uh, for for BBC Radio. We did, uh, I think it was their first ever improvised radio show, and it was a, a thing called the Time to Dance. And it was up for a Sony Award, uh, which was very cool. It didn't win, but we were very pleased to attend. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it was a, it, it took a real punt with it because it was it's it's a it's a scary thing, you know. You talk about improv on a 
on a record, you know, putting it in a in a place where you can't then it goes out and you can't change it. And it, <clears throat> um, whereas if you do it in the theatre, it happens and it's gone. Mm. Uh, so they took a risk by doing it. But I and I think it went well. We did a day of workshopping it and then a couple of days of recording the story. And uh, and it was yeah really really good fun. I enjoyed that very much. I've done fewer of these interviews with people from New Doctor Who mm-hmm. than from Old Doctor Who, and the stories of those are very familiar. Yeah. I did rep. I did yeah. a bit of TV. I got more. The landscape that we are mm-hmm. employed in is entirely different, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. There is there is a need to have other skills because there's not that much acting work about, even if you're a busy actor. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and that you know, going back to that thing of feeling helpless as an as an actor, you know, you do you, do, you feel much more sort of uh, beholden to others, and uh, and I think more and more actors are doing this, where they're just finding other ways to either supplement their income or to um, to keep things interesting for themselves and so more and more people are writing or doing comedy or you know all sorts of things and I think um, I think it's it's great and it probably feeds into to people personally but um, you know it doesn't necessarily um, say great things about the industry you know but you know well and you mentioned uh, your husband you are uh, uh, one of the, uh, 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 an illustrious few who are husband and wife who've both done Doctor Who. I know that's pretty cool. And his uh, he did um, uh, uh, the, what is it? it was a two part yeah, of the, the flesh. flesh. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah, um, and that was great. That was really really good. Um, and we um, we sh- we let our daughter watch it at the time, <laughs> and uh, and because she was just desperate to to she was four, and we were like, it's probably you know too old for her but she was really really wanted she really wanted to watch it and what was interesting which I think is kind of the, the thing about Doctor Who is that she got the story you know it's, there was some kind of grown up themes going on but she got the story and she the, he, the, it was a, it was two episodes where I'm sure you, you all listening know this but, um, where he had a doppelganger uh, and and the, so there was two of him and she knew all the way through which was which and I thought that was very very cool um, so that it had grown up appeal as well as a four year old could go yeah he's the good one and he's the bad one mm. and that's just really sweet so. well and so but because you've got a household of two people done up to you also your household is two self employed people yes which, which I, I guess is um, for those of you that aren't in the business <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting times ahead for us it is it's, it's weird we, we kind of seem to live in a perpetual state of, um, of teenagehood because and, and and we often wonder about what our daughter thinks of us, like what we do, you know. Because her parents are basically around much of the time, and um, and do things that seem fun, and and which is in one on the one hand is a, a great model for her for the future, but on the other hand, it's you know she has a genetic um, she's inherited some. Uh, Tendencies towards daydreaming and a lack of focus, surprisingly, <laughs> and um, and that's not likely to be improved by <laughs> what she sees as our lifestyle, you know. So it's interesting to to imagine what she's going to see as normal as she grows. <laughs> yeah, because really, you, you want is you want her to get a trade. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I really don't think there's any danger of that, you know. Bless her, she's off with the fairies. You know, her school reports mirror ours entirely. <laughs> so. Um, Okay, what's the future? Do you have any unfulfilled ambitions, or where would you like to see see the work going? Um, 
my unfulfilled ambitions. That's interesting because um, they're they're. You, I don't intend to think in terms of. See, I'm lucky enough to get to do things that I love, so I don't have like burn, massive burning desires. What I have is. Um, the desire to improve the things I already do, and um, and to find more within them. Uh, I, you know, I, I I love improv and I love teaching it. And each time I teach, I learn something new. Uh, each time I do it, but more so each time I teach, I learn something new, and that then feeds into what I do. And um, so I, I ha there's a that's a constant journey, and I don't think will ever fin will ever end. And I and I love that. I love. Um, I enjoy the feeling of being just on the edge of knowing what's going to happen next. I don't. I, I, I've dis decided. I've discovered that as I get as I get older, that I am comfortable with not knowing, and that's feel. It feels great. It feels a bit like a magic carpet ride, and uh, and I. So I, so in terms of what I want is more of that, more of not knowing what's going to happen next, and I really love that. <laughs> living on the precipice well actually that that is mirrored in there's a great video for one of your songs it all falls apart on your website which I'll link to afterwards so to, and it, the song is called it all falls apart but actually it's very cheerful and in the video you know you, you're acting it and and you take it with a shrug and a smile is yeah. that your attitude to life then yeah well it's kind of came from that thing of um, well there, there is a I can't remember but there's a, there is a it is a thing you know it all falls apart things fall apart and nothing stays the same and I uh, that is probably quite woven into to my being um, and uh, and I it's that I, it can sound like a negative thing but I, I choose to see it as a positive thing and uh, and it's hard I, you know everybody me included has a certain resistance to change and a, and a fearful uh, clinging on to things that they know and that are safe that feel safe but I, I find that um, for the most part that doesn't get me anywhere uh, I, I know that it's there and I, I know it's a, a kind of I see it as a weakness and so I, I, I enjoy turning trying to turn that upside down and and putting myself in a position where I don't know um, and where and where uh, I, I also enjoy learning from people who are better at me better better than me at things so um, it's uh, yeah and it's the thing that keeps me young <laughs> <laughs> oh well look thank you for your time I have two two last questions that I always yeah. ask the one which I didn't warn you about and it uh -oh. makes people's brain freeze uh, is that because you've kindly given your time and mm -hmm. nobody involved gets paid we ask the listeners because they don't pay for it to donate to a charity so do you have a charity you would like them to donate to um, sure well uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, I went to see a, a great uh, comedy night recently in aid of a charity called NAPAC uh, which is for adult survivors of child abuse and, uh, and it was a brilliant and it's a, it, it was a brilliant show it was a brilliant night and it was the first time that I'd heard about the charity and I think it's a massively worthwhile thing and so yeah I'd be very happy um, and the final question is um, we, we met you know, the starting point was to talk about Doctor Who uh, Doctor Who is 50 this year so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans out there even if it's stop writing to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, never that. Uh, keep finding each other because things stay alive by connections with other people. Oh, that's a good one. Most people just say keep watching. That's a good one. That's the best one we've had. Um, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for having me, Tim. Brilliant. I hope that was all right for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah it's, it's funny because I...
lovely. Um, her charity is NAPAC, which is at www.napac.org.uk, which is spelt N-A-P-A-C, N-A-P-A-C, NAPAC. Uh, please give to these charities if you can, but I understand in times of recession, if you can't, if you're just doing it because you're selfish and lazy, I hate you. Uh, as you heard, Jana is in a couple of bands. Sweet Billy Pilgrim are at www.sweetbillypilgrim.com as you kindly gave me a copy of Highfinger's album, A Countryman's Favour, uh, and it is often used on my playlists. So, after a preview of the next Who's Round, which is with a writer of no mean ability and reputation outside of Doctor Who, uh, I'm going to play out with a song from A Countryman's Favour, and you can sample more of Highfinger's uh, lovely work at www.highfinger.co.uk. UK. Uh, until next time, bye-bye. I haven't acted for about 10 years, and I thought, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, I said, let me think about it. And he said, well, it's like riding a bike, you never forget. And I said, well, okay, well, I don't know. And then I thought about it and said, I'll give it a try. But I said, look, if if we do the read-through and if we, if you find that it's it's not really working, just, just say, I'll understand. Small turn.
advanced. Perhaps we're underground. Perhaps. This is a tomb. You've no business being here if you didn't come to die. There's no need to shoot! We're not armed. We're not here to hurt anybody. You see those marks in the stone on the wall here? Well, we've seen them all over this ship. What are they? Some kind of code? More like notes. Notes? The God King dies, and we mourn in the darkness left behind. They're coming from all over! Let them have it!